This episode is brought to you by SoRare and Matcha. Stay tuned for information on both of them later in this episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. And that's definitely today's guest. <laughs> today's guest is a true OG in the crypto space. Having co-founded the first crypto exchange in China in 2011, Bobby Lee has probably been through and seen it all. Currently, he's on the board of directors of the Bitcoin Foundation, has founded a new wallet company called Ballet, and even has his own book. Titled The Promise of Bitcoin, which I have a copy of right here, Bobby's book outlines Bitcoin's ideal role in the future in a way that readers of all levels can understand. It's my hope today that Bobby will share what that promise is, how he has seen the crypto space evolve over the past 10 years, and what he predicts for crypto moving forward. Bobby Lee, thank you so much for coming on. Scott, thank you. It's a pleasure and honor for me to be here on your show. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for sending me the book and for sending me the wallet. It's absolutely awesome to be able to see those in the real world before uh, talking to you. So so listen, I once had twins, the Cockfosters, on the show uh, at the same time, but I've never had brothers, actually. And I had your brother, Charlie, on an older episode. So I'm curious if you have anything that you'd like to say to him or about him while he has no chance to respond? Oh, that's, a, <laughs> that's an interesting proposition. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, have, <laughs> I don't have anything to, uh, to add to that, but that, that would have been that great if I could. <laughs> well, he, he was an absolutely, he was an amazing guest. I'm curious, did you guys discover crypto together or was one of you first? So he, he discovered it first and he was indeed my, uh, my angel to, uh, to bring me on board Bitcoin. So this was in early 2011. So I think he read about it on some online web forum or something like that. And then he, and then at that, you know, we, uh, we communicate closely, even though at the time we were living in different parts of the world, but we, during one of our phone calls, he told me about it. And I think when we met up in person, the fo uh, following time, we'd really discussed the, the, we, you know, we were just discussing like what, what, what makes Bitcoin valuable? Does it give it value? Because thinking back and th again, this was in 2011. Okay. And then 10 years prior to that, around 2001, 2002, we were actually roommates together in California. And uh, the reason I bring that up is because those are the early years where he and I would look at gold, uh, you know, the shiny thing, yellow metal that we no longer talk about much. But at that time we were, we were, you know, sort of, sort of, uh, new or micro gold bugs and we would buy gold coins and we'd talk about what would make what makes gold valuable even though it was not backed by the government and that conversation sort of is relevant because a, a bitcoin in in essence is a similar kind of thing right an asset class that's not backed by the government yet inherently has features and properties that makes it valuable what do you think made it so interesting to you already in 2001? Because even though obviously you, you went into Bitcoin in 2011, clearly you were already understanding the problems with money and the problems with money being backed by a government as far back as 2001. I think that's before most people started really thinking about their money. Yeah. Um, so we grew up, uh, many people know this. We actually grew up in Africa. Charlie and I were both born in the Ivory Coast. So many people haven't been to that part of the world, West Africa. Uh, it used to be a French colony. It got independent. It went independent in 1960. So it was still very highly French influence. And in the 1980s, when, when I was growing up, it was actually a very stable, very advanced country relative to all the neighboring countries 
in that region of Africa, which which constantly had coup d'etats, you know, uprisings, you know, and all that stuff. So Ivory Coast had a decent, good economy growth and so on compared to the, its other countries. And we also saw the currency. There's many, many different currencies all over Africa, and some were well known to be, you know, inflationary, hyperinflationary. There's a, always a concept of people wanting, you know, people, not just the people I see, but also my family, relatives, and people in, in, in Ivory Coast wanting to convert whatever they earn into a hard currency, such as a US dollar, the French franc, the Swiss franc, British pound. Those are seen as safe haven currencies. When, you know, just when we were born, given that atmosphere, we knew that currency was not all the same. Like some currencies are better than others. Some were safer than others because of the inherent ability to store value or retain value. So I think that's that's sort of the insight in our childhood. Uh, and then of course, gold, then we thought about, hey, gold, you know, gold being valuable is actually baked into society, right? If you think about in the US, a lot of the credit card programs, we talk about gold standard, you know, even in vernacular English, the gold standard uh, airline miles programs, credit card programs. A lot of things, there's a gold tier, hotel reward points. So society language has already adopted gold as something pretty good. And of course, that now there's this platinum tier. That's funny, platinum tier is even better than gold. But what's ironic is that over the years, the precious metal platinum actually has, you know, it is not as valuable as gold, right? So it's, it's something interesting in that sense. That makes sense. There's a few things that strike me there. One is that as growing up in, in the United States, as I did, you never consider your money. So I don't think exactly, we had that exactly. sort of forced education maybe that you have. And number two is that growing up in Africa, your stable currencies were the dollar and the pound. Exactly. But if you're growing up here, you have to take a jump beyond those currencies to gold and Bitcoin and other stores of value. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we had a unique vantage point of seeing multiple currencies from an early childhood. And that gave us, so it, it wasn't assumed that currencies were stable and stuff like that. Uh, and then the other the other fun story is um, I, we would visit the US every so often. And I remember road trips, you know, down the highways, you know, up at East Coast and going to McDonald's, going to these fast food restaurants. And it, and especially in fast food restaurants, this happens today. You still see these, either these images of the 1950s scenes at the fast food restaurants, you know, and then you would see signs, you know, burgers and cheeseburgers for five cents and 10 cents. Right. Uh, and a Coca-Cola for like a nickel. In fact, Coca-Cola had held its price for a nickel, you know, five, five pennies for many, many years. Right. And then you look at the prices in the, in the night in the 1990s of, of burgers and cheeseburgers and Coca-Cola. Why is it much higher? Was that a phantom dream? But like what happened to the U.S. money? Right. So so it gives you a perspective. In fact, you know, this week we just passed uh, August 15th, which is the 50 year anniversary of the new U.S. dollar. I'm sure you, you, you're familiar with what I'm talking about. Of course, yeah. Bretton Woods. Uh, the, of yeah. course, Bretton Woods. And it really is uh, interesting to see what's happened to the United States dollar in that 50-year yeah. period. It's not just Bretton Woods, but 50 years ago, 1971, August 15th is when Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard and closed the gold window. So the US dollar was no longer backed by gold starting on August 15th of 1971. So today we've been living for the last 50 years. I'm actually, I'm actually only 46. So all my life, money has been backed by nothing. Same. Right. Whereas my parents and grandparents, it was not the case. 
Right. And of course, the U.S. dollar was backed by gold while all other currencies were effectively backed by the U.S. dollar. So that was a violation of the trust against the rest of the world for us to remove that gold standard. Exactly. It's like it's like turtles all the way down or what do we call it? We're all floating. (laughs) Right. So like you, I'm I'm 44 years old. So roughly the same experience. I was born in 1976. So after um, all of that happened and have dealt with an inflationary fiat currency for the entirety of my life as well. So what's interesting to me, though, you, you say you guys talked about it in 2011, you started to, to sort of, you know, build the idea in your head of the potential of Bitcoin. But you didn't stop there. Most of us hear about Bitcoin and we maybe buy some or consider it. You started an exchange in China. Well, well so more accurately, I actually, I did, so I started mining. So Charlie was mining Bitcoin. I started got into mining Bitcoin, the GPU mining. That was the summer of 2011. And it, it was just, a, oh, the other, the other ingredient is Charlie and I, we both had computer science degrees. We both went to good schools. Uh, for him, it was MIT. For me, it was Stanford. And we studied computer science. So that also gave us, if you will, the confidence and the background in, in computer science, mathematics, cryptography, you know, again, like the peer-to-peer network, you know, software, all that stuff. So for us, it was natural for us to dive into Bitcoin. At that time, we didn't tinker with the code, but it was natural for us to really examine it, look at it. You know, is this something that can be valuable down the road? just like we looked at the internet. He, he was two years younger, but both he and I, after we graduated from college, we went straight into an internet company. For me, it was Yahoo. For him, uh, it was a startup and then he went to Google. So um, we were primed to get into crypto because of a computer science background. That makes perfect sense. So when did you make the jump from mining to I'm going to open an exchange? Because that, okay. that was so, a very yeah, foreign yeah, concept at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, so it was by chance. So at the time uh, in 2011, for me, crypto was a hobby. Bitcoin was a hobby. Actually, I didn't even, I made the mistake of not buying Bitcoin. And I, I uh, attribute that to me being too much of a geek. I couldn't find a good enough and a safe enough wallet that's that's comfortable for me to store Bitcoin. So remember back then it was Bitcoin Core. Uh, what they call at the time it's called Bitcoin D, the classic Bitcoin client. It was running on your PC or Windows or Mac. And what's crazy about it is the wallet file that stored the private keys in that program was not even encrypted. It was a plain text file that stored all your private keys. So it was routinely common at the time, even for thief and uh, hacking, where people would take your computer or a backup, whatever, and basically steal your wallet.dat file and steal all your Bitcoins. So I didn't, and there was no sort of um, cold storage solution or anything like that. So I was uncomfortable buying more Bitcoin. I, I mined some Bitcoin, but I didn't actually put real money in it until 2013. Charlie started a little bit earlier than me. So he, he bought in more Bitcoin at a lower price than I did. But uh, regardless, I actually, by late 2012, I left my job at Walmart. And that's when I decided, hey, you know what? I should commit to my previous promise, which is if I ever do a startup, I should do it in Bitcoin. And that's what got my idea that I should launch a Bitcoin company in 2013. And then uh, I was looking at my options and I found my partners at BTC China. So the, the rest is history, so to speak. And so what is that history? Talk, well, talk well, about it's, that it's process. Yeah. So basically, I talk about it in my book in the... Uh, um, the promise of Bitcoin a little bit, basically. I've got it here too. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've got my copy right here. <laughs> yeah, so so just a brief history is I started um, BTC China as a co-founder, CEO. So it was actually the very first Bitcoin exchange in China. It was launched as a website in 2011. And then I came on board in early 13. And then we got venture funding. We were the first uh, crypto company in all of Asia to get venture financing in early 2013. At the time, the, the actual earliest uh, exchange is actually MT Gox based in Japan. Of course, Mark Carpellas, everyone 
everyone knows history. Um, by late 2013, we actually, the trading volumes on our side actually exceeded that of MT Gox. So for a while, we reigned, you know, as the king of the hill, if you will, for Bitcoin exchanges. Uh, and at the time, there was no regulation. It was all, you know, free for all, right? It was kind of, looking back, it's kind of crazy to think that back then there was no identity verification, no need for KYC. It was bank accounts galore, you know, people moving money in, moving out. Now, the amounts are small by today's comparison, but literally people were buying Bitcoin, withdrawing, you know, hundreds or thousands of Bitcoins, you know, willy-nilly. It's kind of... It's kind of the Wild West days, literally. So how does that contrast with what we're seeing in China now? Oh, well, it's, it's a huge, huge difference. So uh, historically, people recall in late 2013, that's when the rally went to $1,200. It passed the price of gold measured per ounce. And that's when China had its first announcement banning Bitcoin on December 5th of 2013. So technically, it didn't ban Bitcoin. really did was just, you know, place caution. It tells people that Bitcoin is legal to own, but uh, you, you couldn't buy things. You couldn't conduct commerce in Bitcoin. So there's some companies and coffee shops and restaurants and car dealerships trying to accept Bitcoin as payment. But that once that sort of regulation came out, that it froze the market and the market crashed a little bit. And then the bear market came in 2014. Of course, empty Gox, that bankruptcy came about as well. So a bunch of bad news came in early 2014 and a sort of frozen market in a very bearish state for the next two, two and a half, three years. Yeah. So do you, having seen all of the different levels of regulation around the world, we know it's coming. Obviously it's at this point, uh, I think Bitcoin is too hard to ignore for regulators. Do you yeah. think that regulation is a threat or a potential positive for the space moving forward or both? <laughs> I, um, the way I see it is nothing can hurt Bitcoin, right? The only thing that can hurt Bitcoin is if it were useless. And because it was designed to be impervious to control and regulation and censorship, um, Sort of, I'm, I'm speaking very optimistically, very much like a Bitcoin maximalist that, that nothing can hurt it. You can punch it, you can ignore it, but it doesn't hurt Bitcoin, right? The, 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 the real regulators, the government, they can ignore it and the Bitcoin still go up and still be more popular amongst, amongst its people. Or you could try to suffocate it, regulate it to death and Bitcoin will still survive. So we, we see it already. We see countries like China trying to regulate it tightly, trying to, trying to practically almost banning it without banning it, right? They stopped the, the commercial companies from doing business in Bitcoin. They stopped the, um, the exchanges from operating. They've stopped the banks from providing transfer services for Bitcoin transactions. Now they stopped mining activity. And uh, they've also stopped all the ICOs and token issuance and all the you know, leverage trading. They stopped all that. And I think, I think the only nail left to hammer in the coffin is to literally declare Bitcoin as uh, as counter uh, as uh, illegitimate and uh, contraband, right? right? So they have not done that yet. I think that would be the only, the last hammer in the nail. I don't think that's going to come this year, but it's not it's not uh, crazy to see it come about in three, four, or five years. You know, when Bitcoin hits a million dollars, I think China's going to get nervous again. Uh, so so. Uh, so on the one hand, I don't want to see Bitcoin banned in China. On the, on the other hand, I want to see the factors of Bitcoin being so popular and so successful where China wants to ban Bitcoin. So it's a, it's a tug of war. So you just said when 
Bitcoin is a million dollars as if it was a foregone conclusion. Oh, what it's, a, it it's a foregone conclusion. It's a, to me, it's a foregone conclusion, right? It's kind of like this, Scott. Um, unless you can promise me the U.S. will no longer ever print and expand the U.S. dollar circulation amount, uh, unless that happens, Bitcoin price will go up because you're measuring something that's constant, in this case, Bitcoin 21 million, against something that's constantly inflating and have more and more of. So it's kind of like musical chairs, right? If, if there's more people than there are chairs, the chairs are more valuable than the people, right? So in this case, there, there are more US dollars, constantly much more than there are Bitcoin and Bitcoin's value will just keep going up and up and up. So for me, it's a foregone conclusion. Then why does the average person think we're nuts for saying that? Yeah, they do because they think the US dollar is stable, right? They look at the $20 bill. It's the same looking $20 bill from 5, 10, 20 years ago. And I say, you know, it's not. $20 bills today are... We are awash in $20 bills, right? Um, you know, they used to be called the yuppie note, right? $20 could get you so much as a yuppie uh, young professional, right? Whereas uh, today, $20 doesn't go very far anymore. It's really sad. It, it, it is really, really sad. It's interesting. China is such a closed, obviously, economy and country. They have a history of banning things, right? I mean, obviously, uh, the, yeah. the Facebooks and Twitters, and we, we've heard it all, Googles, and sort of build their own version of everything that that's popular everywhere else and we now see a central bank digital currency being yeah. built we all know that's not bitcoin but do you think well, that yeah. The, oh, yeah. the chinese view is that you know we build our own central bank digital currency less privacy more control of the money supply push bitcoin out well here's my take so you're absolutely right that china has has suffocated the foreign uh, versions, whether it's Twitter, Google, Facebook, and all that, and they try to build their own uh, sort of un, un, uh, uneven, unlevel playing field. But what you've noticed is China has never tried to build its own internet that's cut off from the rest of the world. They're trying to, but the internet is still the same internet. There's still the same protocols, the same fundamental systems like the DNS, IP, you know, and, and web browsing standards and HTTP standards and all that stuff, okay? Now, I know there's a great firewall in China, there's all that stuff, whitelisting and all that stuff, but fundamentally, it's still the same internet, even though the connections may be, may be uh, at risk, okay? With Bitcoin, for them to ignore Bitcoin and to build their own system, here's a, here's a big place where um, it doesn't work out because Bitcoin's value is actually in it being an open global system, right? If you cut off from that, you, bring, you build your own, by definition, if it's your own, unless it's an open decentralized version, then it cannot compete with Bitcoin, right? If, if China were to say, okay, let me take Bitcoin code, fork it, instead of calling it a Litecoin, call it China coin, and truly be decentralized and let all the miners mine it with China having no control over it, right? Then, then that might have a chance at competing against Bitcoin. But, but if it's a controlled private system that is managed and uh, authorized, whether it's a Chinese government or the Chinese uh, central bank, then by, de by definition, it doesn't comp compete with Bitcoin. So that's a fallacy. And most people don't understand that point. And they'll, they'll embrace the digital RMB. And I'm like, for me, the digital RMB is just a fourth version of the RMB, right? The worst version. The, the fourth version, right? right. Because I, let, me, let me share with you this insight, okay? Even the US dollar, how many versions of the US dollar are there? There's actually three versions circulating in parallel today. Here's what I mean. There is a paper note version, the US dollar, the $20 bill, the $100 bill, the $1 bill. There's a coin version, right? The quarter, the nickel, dime, 
the Anthony B, uh, the, the silver dollar, whatever, the pennies and, and nickels. There's even the half dollar, right, from, from years ago. And then there's an electronic U.S. dollar, which is the account balance you see in the bank deposits. Yeah. So these three versions actually are interchangeable, but the circulation amount is actually different. Think about that. The amount of coins, the value of all the U.S. dollar coins comes up to a total amount, which is different than the value of all the paper bills, which is different than the value of all the electronic money in the Fed wire system that's aside from the paper notes and the paper bills. So there's three versions of the U.S. dollar, just like there's three versions of the Chinese RMB. Now, the digital ERMB, the so-called CDBC, or if you will, DCEP, that new thing that's coming out that's being tested all over China, it's just the fourth version. It's monetarily the same value. It's pegged to the same value as the other three versions, and it's interchangeable, but it inflates at the same rate. Yeah, which makes perfect sense, obviously, not a competitor to Bitcoin. Literally, yeah, you could argue that a central bank digital currency is the furthest version of fiat from what Bitcoin is, because it even allows more money printing, more control, and less privacy. Exactly, exactly. More control, more scrutiny, uh, less privacy, and um, more fear of God, right? It's, 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 it's scary, right? To, to me, it's like, you, you really you really surrender your rights as a, as a, as a private citizen. Yeah. If you don't control the money, you don't control anything. And so even a slight bit of control with cash and things like that gives citizens a chance. So, but what's interesting to me is that, you know, we saw Bitcoin obviously drop from 65,000 all the way down to roughly 30,000 to a lot of people, not myself included. The narrative was China banning mining. But if you listen to people who understood Bitcoin before that, their biggest fear was that China would centralize mining or oh, yeah. take control yeah. of the network. And it's such a conflicting view it's because crazy. anyone who understands it knows that China is missing out on their opportunity to control Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. So so let me give you my, my two takes on this. Okay. All along, all the people who are naysayers saying, oh, Bitcoin is bad because China controls and centralizes the mining. I tell them that's not true. The analogy was, the analogy is that, hey, if all the mining or most of the mining is conducted and, and empowered by, let's say, the male half of the species, of the human species, where the females were not doing it, let's just, let's just make that assumption. Then does it mean that the men control Bitcoin and women have no say? That's not true, right? Bitcoin is not sexist. It's not like the men control it and the women don't control it, right? Bitcoin doesn't have country borders. It's not that Chinese miners control it because Chinese miners are just like the men, right? No, no different than, than the XY chromosome versus the XX chromosome controlling, controlling Bitcoin, right? So for me to draw a line and say, oh, the Chinese government is controlling all the Bitcoin mining, that's not true. And now what happened in May and June, the actual banning of mining in China, I'm actually happy because that will prove the point that Bitcoin was never centralized and is never going to be centralized. Now the Bitcoin, a lot of the mining, mining machines are being shipped over to the US and maybe dispersed in other countries of the world. So be it. The, even if the majority of the hash power is in the U.S., the U.S. won't control the, the mining of Bitcoin any more so than Bitcoin itself can be controlled, right? So I'm actually, I'm actually happy this, this has happened. Same, same. So obviously both of us kind of believe that a million-dollar Bitcoin is a foregone conclusion. If you, yeah. step out, if you step out and attempt to play devil's advocate, what would you say are the legitimate threats, if any, to that happening? Um, if so, try, trying to be very, very thoughtful and uh, 
to be very sincere in answering that question. If the governments in the world get their act together and change the central banking policies, meaning fiat money, to be a more sort of sound money principle where they really refrain from excessive printing, excessive devaluing, where they start to balance their budgets, the national budgets, so they don't run into a deficit spending that requires all the additional uh, fiscal uh, money loosening policies and all the issuing of all the bonds and the debts and the treasuries and all that stuff. If, if the governments of the world can, can sort of uh, move away from, an, from ever chasing GDP growth, you know, want, want to see better numbers from the lower left to the upper right, if they can sort of, if they can sort of get behind that and really manage fiscal spending and manage monetary policy and going potentially going back to a asset-backed money, such as gold-backed or partially Bitcoin-backed, then I think Bitcoin's outlook, Bitcoin's going to slow down in terms of its competitive against fiat money. Whereas today, what the, what the governments and central banks are doing is they're, they're, they're just, it's just like the, the what, what's the expression, the insane, the, the insane are running the asylum. What's the expression? The asylum is just, just run by the, uh, I forgot the expression, but you get my point, right? It, it's mayhem. It's mayhem. Like I can predict very reliably in five years, the money supply will be even much more than today in probably, you know, three digit percentage points. Right. Sure. And five years from now, each president in the, which each president in the U.S. will be responsible for printing even ever greater amount of money, right? You see the you see these sharp rises, these hockey puck of of the U.S. money supply, and to me, that's crazy. That's what's giving Bitcoin legs. Literally, the U.S. government, the central bank, the Federal Reserve, you know, in coordination, in collusion with the ECB, the European Central Bank, with all the other central banks around the world, they're just like it's like a race to print as much money as possible. And that's the shooting themselves in the in the foot. That's what's giving Bitcoin legs. Do you love sports collectibles or fantasy sports as much as I do? So rare is blending this together to create an entirely new gaming experience powered by its community. So rare cards are officially licensed NFTs from over 160 clubs, including Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, and Liverpool, and all built on Ethereum. You truly own your collectibles. They are productive gaming assets that will generate rewards if you're a good fantasy player like me. Join SoRare and connect with your favorite teams, live the game with passion, and earn weekly prizes. You can do all of this at thewolfofallstreets.link slash SoRare. That is S-O-R-A-R-E. Guys, I really hope that all of you are not still trading on the old platforms like Uniswap when there are much better options like Matcha. And now Matcha has upgraded to 2.0. Now, I've told you about Matcha a number of times. They have limit orders, which these other platforms don't, which is absolutely incredible. So you don't have to sit there staring at your screen waiting for that perfect moment to enter or exit a trade. And they also aggregate liquidity from all of the different platforms, finding you the best price and reduced fees. But now they have Matcha 2.0 and have added so many awesome features. Matcha is now the only DEX with an integrated fiat on-ramp. You can put your dollars directly onto the platform. They also now have OTC trading for orders between 1K and 1 million, which is beyond huge. And maybe most importantly, Matcha now supports trading on Polygon, meaning that those gas fees will almost evaporate completely. Now, if you guys want to check out Matcha, which you absolutely should, you can do that at the Wolf 
wolfofallstreets.link slash matcha. That's the wolfofallstreets.link slash matcha. Please check them out. I'm telling you, it will save you so much money and is such a superior experience. Do it now. So the only thing that could stop uh, Bitcoin from going to a million dollars is unicorns and fairy dust, right? Because we know that. <laughs> yeah. the, so so exactly. we know that none of those things are going to happen. But a, yes, yeah. a return to a gold standard or something and responsible fiscal monetary policy might do it. Exactly. Okay. I think that's a better way to say it: responsible right. fiscal monetary right. policy. Okay. Yeah. So we're we're we're, you know what, we're, we're good, we're good for now. <laughs> we're good for now. Um, yeah. So, so basically. I, that's why I'm like so confident, so so optimistic. Like if the U.S. does well economy economy wise and all the fiscal wise, hey, great, good for the country. If if the U.S. prints more money, hey, great, great for Bitcoin. So I'm I'm hedged both ways, right? So I it's like great economy, good for Bitcoin. Terrible economy, good for Bitcoin. You know, whatever happens, good for Bitcoin. You know, it's yeah. it's it's a little bit sad, but that's sort of what I think is is going to happen. It it's sad, but at least we have an option now. Because 20 years exactly. ago, 20 years ago, the situation wasn't much different, just a little less amplified and people didn't really have an option. That's right. That's right. Good so, point. so, you know, you've obviously been building in this space for 10 years now. Um, and a lot of people would argue that in the early years, 2017 bull run, certainly the 2013 bull run that you talked about. We talked about institutional adoption and big money, but we all know that the infrastructure was not there yet to support real money coming into this space, which I think exists yeah. now. You've chosen to start a wallet company, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, and I think one of the things that was lacking before was that people didn't understand how to secure their assets. They were afraid of it. So they just didn't buy Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So and that what, was me, that was me in 2011. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what, what problems did you see recently that caused you to say, listen, I want to focus on a wallet. This is what I want to do. This is where we have a gap in the market and we need improvement. Yeah, it's it's actually a long story in, in the making. Um, in 2011, I we didn't we didn't talk about wallets. It was just the Bitcoin program or, or nothing, right? So there was no concept of a wallet. The wallet concept came later. And, uh, and the earliest wallets were custodial exchanges, where exchanges would allow you to store Bitcoins on the, on the exchange on the platform, whether it's Coinbase since 2012 or BTC China, Bitstamp, you know, crack, uh, sorry, uh, Kraken and uh, MT Gox, right? So, so over the years, even at BTC China, we, re we later renamed to BTCC. I actually launched two separate web wallets. These are custodial wallets. The first one was called uh, Just Pay. It was called uh, Picasso Pay, Just Pay. The second one was called Mobi. One was desktop browser-based. The second one was, was mobile phone-based. These were both custodial wallets. Um, no different than putting your coins on Coinbase or an exchange, okay? In hindsight, looking back, that was not the responsible thing to do. But at the time, I was, you know, I was running an exchange. That was the right thing. That was like the, the natural thing to do, to, to launch a custodial wallet. Uh, the reason is that when I launch a custodial wallet, people are entrusting me and my company in guarding their assets. And of course, there's hacker risk, there's a fail, failure of business risk, there's regulatory risk, there's a theft risk and all that stuff. So, um, so for various reasons, looking back, we did not give the users control of their own private keys. So so having been, you know, having been sort of experienced that I sold my company, you know, the new management team took over, 
they controlled everything. And then some of the users, some of my existing friends had trouble getting the funds out, you know, taught me a lesson that the only responsible way to teach my friends or to let them store Bitcoin is to give them full control of the private keys. And then I was a, I was a real user of hardware wallets in 2018 and 17. And uh, from the earliest ones, you know, the cold storage solutions from Armory to uh, Electrum cold storage to um, uh, Ledger, the Trezor was the first hardware wallet that was announced in the, in the early years. Mm -hmm. uh, Trezor, Ledger, I even had samples, you know, uh, credit card size samples with Bluetooth right. technology, NFC technology, you know, plug cables, you know, batteries, e-ink displays. I've played with a lot of fancy, fancy wallets all these years, but there was one common theme. They were all too complicated. Yep. And fundamentally, they weren't as safe as they were cracked up to be because all of them required constant software updates and firmware updates, right? If, if a chip-based harder wallet was so safe, why would you constantly need to update the firmware? It was right. always to patch holes, patch zero-day exploits, and so on and so forth. So finally decided I had enough. I said, you know what? I have an idea. Let's go back to the basics. The classic paper wallet, which Michael Caldwell turned into a casacious coin. I don't know if you remember these casacious coins, right? Which we then copied at BTCC to make BTCC mint coins. These were pre-made coins with metal coins, titanium, with with us with a paper wallet stuck on it using tamper evidence sticker technology. And it was a loaded coin. We, we sell it from BTCC. And looking back, that was really easy for people because they would actually be able to buy Bitcoin, hold it, and put it away, whether it's in the desk drawer or put it in the safe deposit box, and they can then hold it for many years. And best of all, they don't panic sell it at the exchange when the, when the first uh, yeah. price comes down, right? So many people thank me. They say, oh, thank you for making these BTCC mint coins because it actually saved my bacon because I wasn't, I didn't panic sell the coins. Whereas all the coins I had on the exchange, I hit panic sell on that day and they liquidated, right? So, so by having it, sort of half a degree removed in the drawer or in the safety deposit box, it sort of uh, holds your, hold your horses and not get swept up in the emotions of panic selling. And, and uh, so using that technology, we developed, you know, what, what today is called the ballet wallet. Uh, do, do you have it in front of you, Scott? Yeah, I've, I've why, got why to open the package. I've got a pack of three of them I'll, right here. Yeah, but for the, the people listening, for the people really listening, they won't hear it, but I'll open one while, uh, for the, for those yeah. who are watching. <laughs> well, this, the actually, they keep talking it. about it. This is the wallet that you can actually hear because it's made of stainless steel. You can actually hear it by knocking somewhere. This is the wallet you can you can touch, you can feel, you can hear it, you can almost taste it. But actually, one special thing is you can actually smell it too. I'm going to show you this really cool thing. That one. Yeah, right open here. it. So open it. Yeah. It's opening. Yep, you slide it out. Uh, it's a stainless steel card. It's kind of heavy. It's heavier than. Your classic awesome. credit card. It's even heavier than those those platinum or titanium cards. Some fancy people have fancy credit cards. It's even heavier than that, right? How, how do you feel it? How do you like it's it? A, it's incredible. It makes me feel like I'm carrying an American Express black card. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a Bitcoin. <laughs> it's, it's what we call the real Bitcoin card, okay? So the name is called Real Bitcoin, and it's serious. It's a bearer asset, right? So you're familiar with bearer assets. In the old days, it was bearer bonds, a uh, bearer asset is basically where the holder, the owner of the item is a person who has physical control over it. It's not a titled asset. So in contrast to a titled asset, like real estate, cars and boats, you know, stock accounts, bank accounts are titled assets. 
title assets by definition are controlled by a third party, right? This is something people don't, don't think about, right? All our life, we grow up, we have a lot of our wealth entitled assets, real estate, bank accounts, stock brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, right? Bonds, uh, even, even things like frequent flyer miles, hotel reward points, okay? Things like cars and uh, any sort of large ticket item, titled assets, they're tied to my name, my identity. And if I'm ever blacklisted, if I'm ever on the sanctions list, they don't, they deny me access to it. They control when I, when or not I can sell, right? Whereas a bearer asset is like cash, gold, diamonds, jewelry, Bitcoin. For the first time, we have Bitcoin as a bearer asset, physical bearer asset. So Scott, here's a challenge. You can see it. You can feel it. You can touch it, touch it, feel the, feel the logo. It's incredible. Right? It's lost. Yeah. It's really raised. And here's the smelling part. If you scratch the QR code gently okay. with, your finger, with your fingernails, go ahead and bring it up to your nose and smell it. Yeah, it smells great. Wow. See, that's a it smells scent. like an that's air freshener. Cool. Yeah. 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 It's a special ballet sort of scent. It's, it's partly for anti-counterfeiting purposes. Uh, it's partly for branding purposes, right? <laughs> I put that, you see me, I'm putting it on my neck like a sample at the uh, store. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's really uh, it, incredible. Yeah. So it's the, the other best part I forgot to tell you, it's ready to go. It's ready to use. You can give this to your grandma. You can give it to your parents, your siblings, your coworkers, people who are not in crypto, or even people who are in crypto. It's ready to go. Literally, you open it from the box. You can send Bitcoin to it and you're good to go. And it supports over 100 different currencies. Oh, that's interesting. It's not just a Bitcoin wallet. It's obviously oh, it's the not ERC just Bitcoin. 20. Yeah. All the Ethereum, all the ERC20, even Binance, Smart Chain stuff, Litecoin, Dogecoin, very popular, Zcash, all the all the cryptocurrencies you can think of, XRP, you know, uh, even stablecoin, USDT, right? You could load up a thousand dollars, load up ten thousand dollars of USDT or USDC. Um, and then you could literally it's 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 a savings bond, or if it's you know, it's a it's a it's a bare asset, right? And people use this for poker tournaments, for poker games. It's really awesome. Well, they say that possession is nine-tenths of the law, right? Oh, there, it's there you go. old expression With, about bare assets. Yeah, exactly. This, this is 100% possession-based. Yeah. So you, you, you just mentioned- and That's why I started this company. I, I was really passionate about providing a solution that I could really- let my friends and family use and I can sleep at night because I know that with this, because it's open standards based, even if ballet were not around your Bitcoins, your cryptocurrency, Ethereum, Litecoin, they'll be safe. As long as you have this card, there's no dependency on us and on us as a company It's completely open standards based. So I really sleep well at night to know the security and the safety and longevity. It's the only wallet, by the way, that's designed for 20 years, right? If you want to hodl for 20 years, this is the safest choice. And you do suggest that people lock it up in a safe or put it in a safety deposit box or? Yeah, there, there's many options depending on what, how much amount. Obviously, if it's just a few hundred dollars, you, if you feel comfortable like putting card. in your safe, yeah. right? Uh, put in your, some people carry it with them just a few hundred dollars, that's fine. But you have thousands or more, then you want to put it somewhere what you consider safe, whether it's a home safe, hide it in the refrigerator under the under the rug or, or hide in the bank uh, bank vault somewhere and pay for that storage service. And we're, we're, we're eager to announce a new service coming up. Uh, that's going to even allow them for more choices for the wealthy people. So I'm curious for those who don't understand what would happen if you lost it? Well, if you lost it, we've turned 
digital virtual currency, right? They, 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 the government still call it virtual currency, right? We've turned cryptocurrency into physical form. So once it's in physical form as a bearer asset, it's no different than any other physical asset you have. Gold, silver, diamond, earrings, you know, gold necklaces, cash, a stack of cash. So what happens if you lose it? You lose it. So don't lose it. That's the lesson. Right? <laughs> yeah, just don't so, lose it. Yeah, but, but the benefit is because it's physical, your eyes are on it. It's not going to disappear. What we hate as, as human beings is when things disappear in front of us where we don't know some voodoo magic because we screwed up some internet settings or we press a wrong button or we, we forgot a password and things disappear we can no longer get access to. That's what we hate. But if something gets stolen in front of us, then, then so be it, right? If I misplace it, so be it. What happens when you lose your phone? So be it. Yeah, right. Makes perfect what happens sense. when you lose your necklace or your diamond ring? Some people do lose their, some people lost, lose their engagement ring, $20,000 engagement. They lose it on a vacation. Well, so be it. Right. So that's what, that's the thing, right? So if it's really worth a lot of money, don't bring it on your vacation. Don't bring that $20,000 ring on your vacation. Or if you do bring it, you better be careful. Right. So if you have $20,000 of Bitcoin on this card, don't bring it with you everywhere you go, right? Put it somewhere safe. Makes perfect sense. So you mentioned uh, that a lot of people use it to play poker. I read that you're yeah. a uh, you're an avid poker player. Yeah, well, I that's 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 still my uh, one of my hobbies. Yeah, I, I I love the mental aspect of the game. So interestingly, I often make the comparison between poker and trading, trading in general, but cryptocurrencies specifically. Um, I'm curious if you see those parallels and what things you do see as parallels. If so. So I'm not a big trader, obviously. I, uh, I'm more of a hodler, I hold. Uh, but for me, poker has a lot of analogies into real life. So for me, po playing poker is a, is a great distraction. It really sharpens my mental skills because poker is a game of incomplete information, right? You're not just playing the cards you have. You're playing against people around the table, some of who are more experienced, some of who are less experienced, some are more wild, some are more, uh, more, like more risk-taking, some play for game theory, some play just based on their gut instinct of how they see you, right? So in that sense, it's very much like trading. Like, for example, uh, the, the latest price swings from 65000 down to 30000 right? So, you know, early in the year, I predicted this could very much be a double, double top uh, year, right? So even, even last year, uh, even late 2018, I was predicting that prices would start rallying in late 2020 and the bull market year this year, 2021. So Scott, we're in the middle of the bull market year and we saw the first peak in April at $65,000 effectively. And I am fully confident we're going to see the real peak come in the second half of this year, probably in Q late Q3, Q4, around you know October through, through December timeframe. And that's when I think it will peak out easily over 150K more likely over 200K and even, even a good chance at over 300K. So, um, and, and why does it do with poker? Because it's all human. It's, it's kind of like uh, human nature. It's kind of like uh, this, this thing where, uh, what's expression? Where it, we want it to happen, so it happens. Right. Self-fulfilling self -fulfilling self -fulfilling prophecy. Self-fulfilling prophecy, right? When I, when, I, when I yell on Twitter that it's going to happen this year and people all believe it, and maybe it really does happen, right? So, so there are a lot, you find a lot of bulls out there predicting a, a big comeback later this year. And when enough of that sound, that's when uh, prices go up, right? So we, we see that in the last two weeks, right? It went, it went up 50% from 29000 30000 to now over $45,000.
Right. Just, I mean, going up, of week. going up four yeah. or five times for Bitcoin is uh, a very casual move, right? Oh, it does it every, every year or two. Yeah. So as, yeah. as much as the numbers seem huge, if you think of it on a percentage basis, it's really not even that aggressive. It's really not that yeah, yeah. aggressive of a, of a prediction. Go up three yeah, or four exactly. times you're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it, I've already tampered down the, the 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 magnitude, right? Whereas in 2013, whereas in um, 2017, we saw 10, 10 times, 20 times, you know, to the peak, sure. right? Now we're just saying, hey, a five, give me a healthy five times. You know, everybody will be crazy. Yeah. You know? do, you think that, do you think that for that to happen, you've seen every cycle, right? But do you think that in this modern world, that for that to happen, we need to see some sort of news or fundamental catalyst the oh, yeah. tesla buys 1.5 billion or el salvador's legal tender those sort of things do you think that there needs yes. to be a spark we will we will it, it's not no, no the, the first spark no one's going to see this first spark okay it's kind of like the wildfires that are burning i know that's a sad topic but by the time you see it it's already burning you, right. you don't see it there's always that first spark somewhere whether it's whether it's arson or whether it's by lightning, nature, right. some lightning yeah, sure. strike, right? You, you, it's very hard to go backwards and analyze it because you don't have, you don't have cameras all over the, all over the, the, the nature. Right. So, so by the time you see the wildfire, it's already, it's already going crazy. And then it, it's going to go crazy for even longer. So it's no different when the bull market comes by the time you realize the bull market, it's already gone to a hundred thousand dollars. I think today we're at 46,000, 45,000. No one's thinking about it much, but I think very soon when uh, Bitcoin crosses 65, it's going to jump up to 70, 80 very quickly. And it might linger at 80, 90 for a while. And then it's going to take a peak above 100. And when that goes, man, it might come back a correction. But when it go, when it's steady, when it's steady above 100, it's going to be a slow march up to 150, 200, 250, 300. And that's when FOMO kicks in. That's when everybody forgot about the fact that Bitcoin was banned in China, the fact that blah, 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 all the bad news. That's when the good news start rolling in. You have other companies, whether it's Intel, Microsoft, or whatever, Apple, will say, hey, we want to buy some Bitcoin on our balance sheet. And you have, you know, one day I, in my book, I predict, I have 15 predictions. I say even the Warren Buffets of the world will turn around and say, hey, yeah, maybe we should add some Bitcoin to our balance sheet because the, the US dollar is just so underperforming. Well, we haven't seen Warren Buffett do it, but we've seen his contemporaries, right? I mean, Ray Dalio was a huge critic of Bitcoin. Exactly. He's Paul exactly. Tudor Jones, Bill Miller, Drucker Miller. I mean, all of these guys yep. at one point were just, even Michael Saylor was dismissive of Bitcoin. Yep, yep, absolutely. And, and the way I see it is I'm, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I'm smart enough to know that smart people eventually will get it. Yeah. Right. They may be naysayers at first, but they will eventually get it. Unless right. they're really, really stubborn. Right. I mean, there's the, you know, the term, uh, uh, strong opinions loosely held, right? The, yeah, smart, yeah, yeah. The, the smartest people in the world are the ones who can actually process new information and exactly. admit, they, admit they were wrong and, and change their opinion. Exactly. And, and we're going to see more of that. And th- that will all come compressed in Q4 of this year. And that's what fuels the, the, uh, the bull market. Yeah. It's so and then, interesting, though. You say, you know, all the news will come in at once. Why is it? And this is human nature as well. But why time. is it that it's not time? They don't. They don't. There's, there's no group coordinated schedule where the orchestra, oh, of course, uh, where the conductor yeah. says, "Everybody, bring out your good news." Right? There's no conductor. But what happens is, it's just this game theory where when good news come out, other people want to announce the good news too, right? So this, this is this. Uh, and the same on the way down. 
That's what I was going to ask. Came all the way down. The way exactly. down. So, so, one country, because exactly. China, India, Russia, all three of them somehow have some news banning Bitcoin every time the price drops. Right? Yeah, exactly. Energy, exactly. ransomware, only for criminals. We have the same narratives over oh, and over yeah. and over again, but only yeah. when price is dropping. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then people do panic. What's funny is actually works, right? People panic, you know, they dump the market, the futures, the leverage positions all get cut and it really causes panic and really comes down, right? We saw that. We saw from 65, boom, 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 went down to 40, down to 30, you know, went to down 29,000, 28,000. And it was like, wow, crazy. You would think, you think that, that people happens? were run by now, right? Do you, think, do you think that that was literally people panic selling? Do you think that it was a function of too much leverage in the system? Do you think that it was manipulated as people love to say? It's combination of all three, right? There's panic selling. There's too much leverage. It's also the, the the human nature where experts are predicting people will panic and predicting there'll be close uh, close out you know positions. That's why they're selling ahead of the ahead of the thing, right? There's a lot of professional traders, as you know, that will actually do it not because they don't believe in Bitcoin, but they believe in the momentum trading aspect. Which that, is that, that's literally why if you believe technical analysis and looking at charts works, literally the reason that it works and that patterns form use it is because that's just where people are going to either be fearful or where they're going to be greedy. Yeah. And that's yeah, really yeah, yeah. what you're looking at, right? Everything yeah, love, that you do is a yeah. manifestation of human emotion. Yeah. I love, I love the uh, analysis for the Fibonacci numbers, the Fibonacci retracements. I'm sure you're familiar with these terms. Of course. I, I'm not as much, but but when I hear these, I look at these trials, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's literally a self-fulfilling prophecy. People do it. And uh, because you can't prove it one way or the other, right? It's not like you can get all the traders in the room and say, hey, why did you guys of course. make the market move this way, right? So your wallet, as you said, uh, can hold a number of coins. It's not just Bitcoin. Do you yes, have other coins that you're excited about, believe in, or not specifically, even what's your take on the market as a whole beyond Bitcoin, which is all that we've talked about? Yeah, I um for, for disclosure purposes, uh, you know, we hold all the coins. I I myself own uh, Bitcoin. That's my single largest position. I own Ethereum and Litecoin, and I actually I actually don't off the top of my head. I don't know whether my Litecoin is worth more, or my Ethereum is worth more. It's 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 a fraction of my Bitcoin holdings. So I'm a I'm a Bitcoin bull. Uh, I still have some of the fork coins from Bitcoin. I haven't touched them. I haven't bothered to sell them. I, I should in hindsight I should have sold all of them. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but these days, I don't even think about it anymore. Um, so, so for me, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I wrote this book, The Promise of Bitcoin. I, unashamedly, it's all about Bitcoin. I don't talk about, you know, blockchain applications. I don't talk about all the other shit coins or altcoins. Um, for me, the, the reason I talk about Bitcoin first is because it's really for the new audience, right? Crypto is hard enough if you just... If you say, hey, spray with spray to them and say, oh, buy all these coins at uh, this ratio, it's going to overwhelm them. So what I tell people is read this book, buy Bitcoin first. Once you're familiar with it, then you can venture out and buy other coins and others, other you know, platforms, other tokens as you wish. But but to get your foot wet, to get your feet wet, you have to you have to start somewhere. And Bitcoin's a great place to start. And especially treat Bitcoin as a long-term investment and not as a short-term sort of a strategy, sure. you know, trying to make money quick. Can be a gateway drug, certainly, for a lot of people oh, yeah, into yeah, the other is, coins. But I'm it definitely is. curious. And, and I'm addicted. I'm addicted, right? So it's <laughs> you and me both. That's you and me both. Yeah. But that, that said, obviously, there are other potentially life-changing applications of blockchain technology yes, that yes. we saw. DeFi and uh, yeah. obviously NFTs. Do any of those excite you or is it just not um, your game? 
it's it's um so truthfully it's not my game um i i i only have so much bandwidth i'm trying to run a full-time company here and uh so i don't myself get to play with all the newest DeFi, the newest nft stuff but i try to up, keep updated on all that stuff so my wa- our wallet actually supports all the DeFi stuff we're launching a wallet connect uh, API soon. So it can allow people to connect all the DeFi platforms, the OpenSea and the NFT stuff. And we also wow. allow scoring of NFTs. So we have already have support for ERC 721 NFTs, such as CryptoKitties, mm-hmm. CryptoPunks. Uh, we're going to launch EF, uh, ERC 1155 support soon. And we're going to launch some other NFT platform support soon. So we really are, from a wallet company perspective, we're agnostic. Uh, I myself um, and much more of a Bitcoin maximalist investor, long-term investment. But I, we have ability for people to change. So we partner with several vendors where you're allowed to uh, do a, what they call crypto crypto swap between Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all the other tokens. You can change back and forth. Uh, also, also, if you have a bank account in the US, if you have a credit card, or even bank account in the Europe, you can buy crypto directly onto the card using one of our vendors. So that's a quick way to onboard people. Yeah. So it make, you, makes it easy, right? As a gift yeah, and someone, you know, someone to hold it. Right. You don't have to worry about account passwords or anything like that. Yeah. It's really, really a cool product. So you said you make 15 predictions in your book. What are your, what yeah. are your, some of your favorites? Um, so I talked about the Warren Buffett one. So this 15 predictions actually number is it's actually the last chapter. chapter when Warren uh, Buffett buys Bitcoin might be my time to sell, to be quite honest. I don't know. <laughs> that might be the ultimate top signal. <laughs> yeah. The or, Buffett, or Peter Schiff. Yeah, that, 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 you're right. You're right. That is a, that, that would be a top signal. That would be a top signal. Yes. You know, more institutional investors will participate. This is sort of generic one, but it's happening. Yeah, sure. uh, oh, regulators will approve a Bitcoin ETF. So that's, I'm very confident that's going to happen. I know, I know it's, I been, it's been oh, in the making for many, many years. A yeah, lot of it's a, a lot of countries have done it. So I think it's inevitable. Yeah. And also prediction 10, I said China's domination won't continue forever. So, so this book was go. published on May 18th. This was before the, the official ban and all that of China, the mining and stuff like that. So it's, it's coming true, right? So China's dominance will, will decrease. Uh, more women in Bitcoin. So I'm, I'm eager to see that, you know, in my company, we, we have a lot of female uh, uh, members in our employee base. So I'm very happy that uh, we're not just uh, run by a, a bunch of men. Yeah. So mining will continue to be robust. Um, yeah. And, and the last one was about regulation. My last prediction is the U S and other countries will create new crypto regulatory agencies. So the idea there is, the reason regulating crypto has been so difficult is because crypto is neither, neither it, it's not truly a stock, a security, not truly a foreign currency, not truly a real estate, right? And not truly like a futures commodities kind of thing. So it's kind of like this hybrid unicorn, crazy animal thing, right? So so um, so how do you regulate it? So that's why all the regulatory agencies, when they're asked to regulate it, they only see a certain angle of it, right? So that's why. That's why it's been so hard. So I predict that in the coming years, serious countries like the United States, Europe, they will actually have to establish a new agency and name a czar, so to speak, that will regulate crypto and basically take that regular power away from all the other agencies and they will regulate it squarely and cleanly. And I think that's the only way to solve it. So that's that's my 15th, 15th prediction. I mean, I guess the interesting question then is how those will interact with one another. 
Because you're going to see oh, yeah. that people well, are going to people are going to move where right? they're treated best, right? People are going to move yeah. to the country where they're treated best. Americans will have no option. We're going to have to pay our taxes no matter where we exactly. go. But exactly. For other people, I, I, I think I'm that, still on that. Yeah, yeah there's going to be a lot of regulatory arbitrage, right? That's what you mean when people move countries trying to find a best better jurisdiction. And down the road, the UN will have to be get involved, right? To, I think lately what you saw was uh, there's a coalition of countries trying to clamp down on on corporate tax escaping, right? Where countries give really low corporate tax. So there's a lot of corporate tax evasion. Uh, so there's a cartel, not a cartel, but what do you call it? A coalition of countries now saying we're going to have a minimum corporate tax rate. So not to allow companies to, to leap, to jump around. So I think that's going to happen in crypto as well. I think, I think probably it will take 15 years for the UN and other global trade groups, whether it's G7 or the G20 to get involved and say, regulation of crypto will be at that level. And that's going to be very serious, right? Think about it. I mean, Bitcoin, you know, 12 years ago was like a piece of software. Now it's going to be something at the global stage, at the G7, the G20, the United Nations level, the World Bank, right? So yeah, to we me, made it's it. huge progress. We've made it. We, we just saw it freeze the entire United States infrastructure bill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, but that, that's, 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 just, that's just a very small thing. That's a yeah, very a small taste. example. I agree with that's you. They're going to have to create uh, sovereign like agencies specific to crypto and, and have to start yeah. talking about it on a global stage. I mean, most things we've seen in the last few years, nothing has really surprised me uh, in the Bitcoin space. El Salvador surprised me. Okay. El Salvador the country, accepted, or, is it the country choice or, or just that one country? No, that a country this early decided to adopt oh, yeah, yeah, Bitcoin yeah. as legal tender. Do you think we'll see more of that soon? We will. We will. Now, El Salvador, very honest, I haven't been there. I don't really? know whether the, the announcement is more lip service or actually there's a lot of actual execution behind. I'd love to go visit and find out whether I can pay Bitcoin at a, at a hotel or at a restaurant. Right. I don't know yet. Right. It may be just lip service for now. But if it didn't come this bull market cycle, it's starting to come next bull market cycle. So I'm I'm confident more and more countries will allow Bitcoin as legal tender. I mean, practically in Japan, you can now. I think, I don't know by, by law, I haven't been to Japan lately due to COVID, but many, many businesses are accepting Bitcoin in Japan, yeah. as far as I know. So so it's really, it's becoming a common thing for businesses to to allow acceptance of Bitcoin. There are certainly pockets around the world where adoption is happening. We just haven't seen it sort of proliferate yeah. on that grand scale. Yeah. And, and I want to I want to comment on what your word adoption. So for most people, when they hear adoption is the way you phrase it, adoption as in the usage of Bitcoin to pay for things. I I've had a change of heart on that concept. I know in the early 2011, 2013, for me, Bitcoin adoption was about companies and businesses. Peer-to-peer -peer cash, sure. Yeah, right, right. Peer-to-peer -peer cash, like Tesla accepting Bitcoin. But lately, I've had a more, uh, a different leaning towards that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I realized that that's not the critical thing. I think Bitcoin to me personally, and I think to more people, should be viewed as an investment, right? As a diversification of their asset in cash or in other, other asset classes. So for me, Bitcoin staying in my wallet and it value going up. To me, that's using Bitcoin as much as it is for me to use Bitcoin and actually spend it to buy coffee or buy a Tesla. Yeah, so nobody wants me, to do that anymore. Both, both use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, my, in my mind, uh, Bitcoin is your savings account. You know, dollars are for spending and Bitcoin is for saving. I 100% I agree with you. And it's something that you hold forever and, and pass on to your children, ideally. Yep, yep. And frankly, and pass you know, it on it, through a ballet wallet. Yeah, exactly. Right? And frankly, 
this way you don't take your Bitcoins to the grave with you, right? A lot, too many people, I've, you've heard of these people who uh, most famously, David Kleiman, he had a USB encrypted drive on his necklace the whole time. And then he passed away young, you know, to some disease. And his family thinks that that drive has, you know, whatever millions or billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin stored in it, but they can't get to it because only he knew the memory. And unfortunately that you take it to the grave with you, yeah. right? So wh whatever hardware wallet you're using, whatever passphrase, whatever account, secret key if you just keep it memorized great for you but you're going to take it to the grave with you yeah right? if there's untimely it's a bit death. crazy yeah right? uh, yeah certainly perfect well we're out of time <laughs> so where can <laughs> everybody fun. where can everybody follow you grab a wallet uh yeah, and twitter, uh buy the book so on twitter i'm uh my my handle is bobby c lee b-o-b-b-y-c-l-e-e -E. Uh, I, I just crossed over 100,000 followers. And most yeah, importantly, buddy. if you follow me on Twitter, if you're in the US, you have a chance to win a Tesla Cybertruck. So I have volunteered to give a free Tesla Cybertruck to a follower of mine who retweets my Cybertruck tweets. So this, I made this prediction last summer that the price of one Bitcoin can actually buy you a Tesla Cybertruck. And at the, you know, the Tesla Cybertruck, even though it's been delayed to next year, the base price is only $39,900. And today the Bitcoin price has exceeded that. So I'm going to honor my promise to give away a free Cybertruck. Uh, I'm going to announce a winner at the end of the year. You just follow me on Twitter to do that. Otherwise you could... Uh, Feel free to buy this book, The Promise of Bitcoin on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle. I think there's an audiobook version coming out later this summer. That's what my publisher says. It's published by McGraw-Hill, so very excited. It's already a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And then for, for the Ballet wallets, you can get this um, on our website, BalletCrypto.com. It's only $35 in the U.S., free shipping. You can buy it on Amazon. I could buy it all over Europe as well, Amazon. So it's very affordable hardware wallet, cold storage. Awesome. Thank you so much. You've been doing this now for 10 years. I can't years. even imagine Crazy. what they 2031. Years. I can't even imagine what 2031 will look like if we have this. Oh yeah, oh, I, can, I, can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm going to be older, but I'm going to be happier. I, I think, well, well, inevitably we'll all be older. The happiness I hope for uh, to be true for all of us. So thank you very much for having this conversation. Yeah. I encourage everybody. I, I'm holding this in my hand, man. It's it's really an impressive. Uh, yeah, try, I can't Scott. wait to. Can't wait to put some Bitcoin on here. Give it away as a friend or give it away as a tip or something. I will. I will absolutely do that. That's an awesome idea. And thank you so much once again. Okay, great. Thank you, Scott. Bye.